just having an agenda automatically improves your meeting. Not by a lot, but it improves it by a little bit, right? However, if you're a good leader, whether you are an introvert or an extrovert or whatever, providing an, an agenda ensures that people of different personality types are going to come to the meeting, at least have the potential to come to the meeting prepared and have a chance to think about things. Hello, and welcome to episode 96 of the Quiet and Strong podcast, especially for introverts. I'm your host, David Hall, and the creator of quietandstrong.com. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to understanding the strengths and needs of introverts. Introversion is not something to fix, but to be embraced. Normally, we will air each episode on a Monday. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform. Leave a review. That would mean a lot to me. Tell a friend about the podcast. Help get the word out there that introversion is a beautiful thing. Dr. Joseph A. Allen is a professor of industrial and organizational psychology at the University of Utah. Before he completed his doctorate in organizational science at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, he received his master's degree in industrial and organizational psychology at UNCC and his bachelor of science degree in psychology from Brigham Young University. His research focuses on three major areas of inquiry, including the study of workplace meetings, organizational community engagement, and occupational safety and health. He has more than 200 publications in academic outlets, another 20 under review, and many works in progress for a number of journals. He has published several books, including Suddenly Virtual, Making Remote Meetings Work, Suddenly Hybrid, Managing the Modern Meeting, and running effective meetings for dummies. He has presented over 300 papers at regional and national conferences and has given more than 100 invited presentations on his research. He is an editorial board member for the Journal of Business and Psychology, Group and Organizational Management, and the European Journal of Work and Organizational Psychology. He directs the Center for Meeting Effectiveness, housed in the Rocky Mountain Center for Occupational and Environmental Health. Dr. Allen has consulted for more than 400 nonprofit and for profit organizations. His research has attracted internal and external grant funding of more than $8.5 million since 2010. All right. Well, welcome to the Quiet and Strong podcast. I'm very excited for my guest, Joe. Joe, welcome. It's so great to have you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me to be, to be with you today. Yeah, so we're going to talk about meetings and how those may impact introverts and how people can be most effective and all, all that good stuff. Before we do that, let's just talk a little bit about your journey. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how now you call yourself the meeting doctor. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, so a little, little bit of background. I, uh, I studied uh, organizational science in North Carolina under Stephen Rogelberg, who is a, uh, an author of a book called Surprising Science of Meetings which is based on the, the work that, that he and I did together. Uh, and that's, that's where I first started looking at meetings was with him as his students uh, a good while ago. And, uh, <clears throat> and so that's where I started looking at it. But my interest in meetings you know, started long before that. I was always curious about uh, my parents and myself going to these gatherings of people and everybody having to interact with each other and answering questions and making decisions. And I was always curious about that. Wasn't glad I was curious enough to be thinking about research at that point. It was just 
something that I was kind of fascinated with as a, as a, as a young person growing up. And then uh, when the opportunity came to study it, uh, it was, it was like, Oh, this sounds, this is something I'd like to kind of play around in. And so then over the years I've, I've studied, uh, you know, meetings in all sorts of different uh, domains and varieties, shapes, sizes, and structures, and so forth. Uh, till till today, you know, and I've you know, in, in about a couple of years ago, I did a review on uh, on me- on meetings in the literature, you know, in the scientific literature, and I was surprised to find out that I'd written about twenty five percent of the literature. <laughs> oh wow, wow! <laughs> and so I like, and you're thinking, wow, Joe, you've been writing a lot. Well, yeah, sort of. It, it surprised me because there wasn't a lot out there. And so uh, knowing that, knowing that I'd read, written, or reviewed everything that was out there on the topic from a scientific perspective, I started to think, you know what? I think I might have something to, to say about this. And so I'm kind of the self-proclaimed meeting doctor because I've done a little bit of the research, you know, or maybe a lot bit of the research. And uh, <clears throat> there's a lot to be said and a lot to, lot to learn. And so the, the books that I've released in the last few years you know, partly as a result of the pandemic, kind of helped to, um, I hopefully establish uh, that that uh, that name as a meaning doctor. I've read your latest book, and you just said you've done a lot of writing about this. And yeah. It's common for me to send guests questions ahead of time, and so I sent you a lot of questions. But I was just telling you mm-hmm. before the show, I could have sent you a lot more because there was so much sure. content about meetings, and it just made me think. There's all this content about meetings. Is it something that we're just not talking about enough? Is it something that a lot of times we're not doing right that we could give some more thought to and be much more effective? Is is that what's going on? Well, the interesting thing about meetings is that, um, so from a scientific perspective, it wasn't until 1986 that anybody in the science world was looking at meetings. And what I mean by that is, you know, looking at meetings for the sake of meetings. Now we'd we'd study small groups, we'd study teams. We studied, you know, groups of the uh, groups of groups interacting, but we hadn't really sat down and said, "Okay, let's let's look at meetings themselves." So in 1986, you know, Helen Schwartzman wrote a book called "The Meeting." It was the first scientific study of it. So you know, the interesting thing is that, what, you, you, to your question, um, we hadn't really studied it from a scientific perspective. We just kind of took it for granted. Humanity has taken for granted that we meet, and you know, we meet the way we do. <clears throat> and there's also this whole issue of kind of a taking for granted assumption that this is how we do it and this is how we've always done it and this is how it's going to be. The unfortunate thing about it is that more than half of our meetings are actually pretty terrible. And people have been generally okay with that. You know, we're we're not okay with our our performance indicators. We're not okay with how many widgets we made la- you know this last quarter. We're not okay with our performance on the job because we have our, our our supervisors telling us we need to change this or change that. In none of those conversations do we talk about our performance or how we're doing with meetings. And yet a manager in, a, in an organization will spend 75% of their time on, in meetings. And so it's just kind of like, what's going on here? And so I think what's happened is that we got so used to not really focusing on them that we never really realized that this is a quality improvement area that we're ignoring and they're really expensive. And so we're just wasting so much energy and time and effort. And so for me, I get really excited about it because we aren't holding each other accountable to have a good meeting and we haven't forever. <laughs> so, so there's a lot to say about it and there's lots of good tips and tricks that, that people can apply to make their meetings just a little bit better. And over time, if we just take that continuous improvement approach, we might actually meet with some success, you know, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know that I definitely spend a lot of my time in meetings. I know yeah. that we can make them better. And we're going to get into that. So I'm excited for our <laughs> talk, our discussion today. And before we do that, though, also, you know, this is the Quiet and Strong podcast, especially for introverts. Yeah. And you are a fellow introvert. So just, yep. just briefly, what would you say are, is a strength or two of yours as an introvert? And what's maybe something that you need as an introvert that you've discovered? So I think most introverts have a strength when it comes to um, deep thinking, right? One of the advantages that an introvert has is that when someone asks them a question, they'll really think about it before they, before they give an answer. The challenge that that and so and so I and I and I pride myself of that that I try to give a, a fairly coherent and comprehensive answer when someone asks me a question. Um, so I think that's that's one thing that that I think is a strength of mine. Uh, but it but that very that strength very much provides a challenge too, right? You're at a meeting, you have a set amount of time. Someone looks you in the eye and says, "Well, Joe, what do you think?" Right, and. A lot of times that means I have to figure out, you know, what I think, right? Mm -hmm. And I, because I want to think about the, the different implications of, of what things mean, you know, of the question, of the comments that were just made, that sort of thing. I find that those off the cuff responses are not usually as good as I'd like them to be. And that creates frustration. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know, you know, don't ask me questions because it's, it's a stressful uh, situation for me to be suddenly asked a question that hadn't been, you know, uh, that I hadn't thought of, <laughs> right. Or, yeah. or prepared for. And so I think that's, I think that's both uh, a strength, but also a challenge. And so I think in meetings, introverts need to think about, okay, how can I leverage that? You know, there's other strengths and, and challenges, but how can I leverage that strength to make my contributions more meaningful to a meeting, particularly when that meeting might be really relevant to your you know, your job or to your success in whatever you're doing. <clears throat> yeah. So that's definitely a need that you have is, is to really prepare and learn how to, like you said, leverage that strength of deep thinking. And yeah. uh, we are going to get more into that today. So, so like I said, you've written a lot of books on meetings. Your latest is running effective meetings for dummies. <laughs> what inspired you to write your, your books? The two major disruptions in how we meet, like, Historically speaking, since we crawled out of our caves, we met face to face for like ever. <laughs> yeah. And and even though we had the technology, it took a global pandemic for us to um, widely adopt the technology. And for me, <clears throat> uh, what motivated me to write my books was was essentially the the you know that pandemic. And I've wrote, I've written three books since the pandemic started in March of 2020. Uh, on the topic of meetings. The first one was suddenly virtual, which is really about how do we make virtual meetings work? Because that was a huge disruption. We went from everybody meeting face-to-face, almost 80% of our meetings were face-to-face in corporate America and beyond. And then we went from that to about 5% of our meetings being face-to-face in a matter of days. And 60 to 70% of our meetings were virtual, you know, like, like, uh, you know, on Zoom or on Teams or whatever, which uh, we're still kind of, uh, in beta version, I guess you could say at that point, right? And so that, mo- you know, so I was, I was uh, um, actually working with my co-author Karen Reed, who's co-author on on my latest book, Running Effective Meetings for for Dummies. Uh, she's a on-camera coach, so she's really good at teaching people how to communicate effectively through a lens. And so we just we connected in the summer of 2020 and said, "Hey, 
have you ever thought about writing a book? And she's like, huh. And so that's where suddenly virtual came from. And then as the pandemic started to wane a bit, we're like, well, now we're going to have some people who are going to be at home because people are, people still are holding on to this remote work option because it's so much more flexible for people who have more than just work to do in their lives. <laughs> and so, which is most people. And so we, we, we wrote the book suddenly hybrid, right? And then what, and I know this is a long winded answer. I apologize, but, but then I realized when I got to, you know, got that one kind of headed out the door, I was like, wait a minute, don't we need a, like a guide to all the meetings that we have? Right. And so running effective meetings for dummies was to say, Hey, I've talked about virtual. I've talked about hybrid, but we're also going to continue to meet face to face. And so running effective meetings for dummies is really kind of the definitive guide to how people should meet whether they're meeting face-to-face virtual or hybrid, just how do we, how do we meet effectively in general? Uh, and it's, uh, it's targeted to mostly, you know, small group meetings, which is the most common form about 70 to 80% of our meetings are these small group meetings, uh, whether it be one-on-one to, to uh, you know, five to seven people, but regardless, that's, that's what kind of kind of kind of got me motivated was this abrupt huge shift in how people meet. Yeah, definitely. And I think all three forms are now here with us to stay. I think so um, too. Yeah. So when the pandemic first started and people started just meeting virtually and not as a team like they were used to, how important was the social aspect of it all just at that time? So with, with that, there was kind of an issue here in terms of social because we used to just, you know, when you, when you met face to face, you'd gather to a location, right? And when you gathered, you'd kind of, if it was like, particularly like a Monday morning, Hey, Bob, how was, how was, you know, the weekend, how that soccer match for your son go or whatever your daughter go or whatever, you know? So we'd, we'd have these casual, um, informal conversations as we gathered to our stand-up meeting on a Monday morning or whatever. Right. Um, with with zoom and things like that as you as you alluded to we click a button and there everybody is <laughs> and so we 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 got away from having those social conversations and so i was concerned when 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 that started happening i was like okay wait a minute we we know from the research previous to the pandemic on face to face meetings that pre meeting talk right, is what i what we called it um, is really important for meeting effectiveness and there's different type, types of pre meeting talk there's Work talk. There's meeting preparatory talk, like who's got the top, who's got the agenda, you know, things like that. The most important one of those was small talk, that social interaction content, right? And it was actually particularly important for introverts. That introverts actually needed more of that small talk than extroverts or other, you know, other, other personality types. And so that was that was true then. And so we, one of the things I did early on in the pandemic was I verified that that was still the case. And the reality is. I started advising people, hey, start your meetings with the question, hey, how is everybody? And wait. Wait for people to respond because that social lubrication, as it were, helps to put people at ease, kind of brings people into a shared space, even if it's a virtual space, and allows them to reconnect with with people in a a meaningful way. And so I think uh, social interaction, you can artificially created now don't don't ask that question and then let people go off for 20 minutes in your 30 minute meeting (laughs) (laughs) but you know three or four or five minutes something like that that's exactly what people need 
to be able to feel comfortable with their team when they're work when they're meeting in a virtual environment. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, sometimes you might have that conversation as you're walking to and from the meeting, and that yeah, all of a sudden right. was gone. You know, that the time before and after was really uh-huh. kind of gone. It's like, all right, we're we're done now. So let's shut off the button and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And and so you kind of have to instead of of those things being serendipitous, the bump into bob moments don't happen like they used to, right? And so instead of being able to just let that happen because you're co-located, you have to be more um, intentional. You have to say, I'm going, I'm going to make sure that we have some before meeting interaction. That's not so serious and some end of meeting time for, you know, follow-up questions that one or, you know, one or two people might have. And so that's a, an adaptation that we have to employ in our virtual and hybrid meetings that you don't really need to um, or haven't had to deliberately facilitate in a face-to-face meeting environment. I was involved in hybrid meetings, you know, long before the pandemic, but it was sure. more like the, the exception, like, you know, this person was away or maybe, you know, they were yeah. located somewhere else. I think that in general, we probably didn't do a very good job of including them. You know, things like, you know, maybe I was the meeting leader to have to remind people, you know, I can hear you, but if you don't talk into that microphone, the person on the other end cannot yeah. hear you, you know, so things like that. I, so like I said, I think I know hybrid meetings are with us to stay. Definitely. You know, I know that I'm seeing things move back into the in-person environment. Yeah. You know, how important is it to be able to include everybody? And I'm assuming most companies are kind of upgrading their their technology to make sure everybody is included, however they're attending. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, from the data, you know, published in Suddenly Hybrid, uh, we know that the most important thing for making a hybrid meeting effective is making sure that everybody is seen and heard. Right. And there's three things you need to make that possible. You need to have the hardware, right? So organizations either need, need to upgrade their meeting rooms and they need to upgrade each individual's meeting connection, right? Uh, some of that's on the individual to make sure they have a you know good enough internet connection, uh, but some of that's not. Some of that, like having a good camera, you know, that that's really on the organization to make sure the person has the right tools to be able to do that. So hardware. Second thing they need is software. You need to have a, a means by which people connect and having some consistency in that for your teams, right? That's why a lot of organizations have a a Zoom, for example, uh, you know, license, or they have a, a, a Microsoft Teams license, or something to that effect, or Google, you know, Groups license, or whatever. But something that that kind of pushes people towards the same software system, so that way they all get comfortable with that and know all the little buttons and where they are, so that way they can share their screen and they can use whiteboards and all those wonderful things. And that's great. But then the third thing is something that organizations just forget to do. And they do this on a lot of things. So this isn't so meetings are special, but you got to have the skillware, meaning you have to teach people how to do this, right? You can't just assume that people are going to realize, oh, I really should start my meeting with some small talk. Oh, I really should leave the camp, leave the the meeting room open in the virtual environment until everybody that's in the room leaves the room from a hybrid meeting, right? So that way, no one is left out of any after the meeting conversations, right? And I also need to make sure that, oh, yeah, I can't, I need to not forget the people online. In fact, maybe I should have them talk first, right? These are all tips, I guess you could call them, but they're not intuitive, 
right? And so if we make the assumption that everyone's going to figure it out, well, they might, but more than likely they're going to go back. They're going to continue to meet kind of mediocre or even worse, right? Like I said, more than half of our meetings are poor, right? So are we okay with poor? Are we okay with kind of miserable meeting experiences? And if the answer is yes, then you can ignore everything I just said. (laughs) Right. And I think for most people, of course, that would be a big no. So it's not intuitive. And I still think we're figuring it out, you know? Yeah. Two and a half yeah. years later, I think we're figuring it out. I know in your book, you talk about the importance of being on camera. Why should we be on camera? I know there's plenty of meetings I'm in where people are not yeah. on camera. What's the importance there? So, and suddenly virtual, I took a very hard line on this. I said, camera on or you're an idiot, essentially. And I, I have softened that both in terms of my suddenly hybrid book and in the Running Effective Meetings for Dummies book. And what I mean by soften it, I still think that for the vast majority of our meetings, camera probably needs to be on. If you're if you're a virtual participant in a hybrid meeting, your camera needs to be on. If you are in a virtual meeting, your camera should probably be on. But I soften that a little bit because for a person that you know really well, for example, if you're calling your mom, your dad, your your kids, you know, your your best friend, you know, if you're you probably don't need to turn the camera on for them. And that's because you have a, a very high level of familiarity with them. You know what mom sounds like when she's being sarcastic. You know what your best friend looks like when they're when they're you know angry. You don't, or they're when, when they're unhappy. You can hear that in their voice. You actually don't need to see them to be able to communicate and understand everything that they're saying, right? But that's not the way it works in organizations. We onboard new people. People move. We meet with new clients. We meet with uh, you know interdisciplinary teams across the organization, right? And so when we're when we're meeting with people that we don't have the kind of relationship that we know them really, really, really well, we need to see them so that way we can see when they roll their eyes. We need to see them so we can know when they're shrugging, when they're you know, or when they're being sarcastic, that sort of thing. If you can't see them. You might conclude that the boss just said that the, that the project you're working on is completely garbage when the boss really meant that it's really an important project. But because you, you've only interacted with this person a couple of times and this is the first sarcastic statement they've ever made, you're lost. And so, you know, it's one of those things where you've got to know who are you meeting with and how rich of a medium of communication does it need to be. So that's that's one rule about camera. The other rule that, that I, I recommend in terms of camera in that decision of on or off is how complex and how emotionally charged is the meeting going to be, right? So for really complex issues, more information is going to make it easier to to understand what's going on. So if it's a really complicated project where you're going to have to kind of explain more details, camera on. If it's an emotionally charged situation, like you're firing someone, don't send an email with a meme that says you're fired. (laughs) Um, You know, Meet with the pe- meet with people, right? Emotionally, you know, or if you're if you're, it's a, a a performance review, a performance review should not be, you know, audio only. It should be a it should be it should be video or in person. So, the question of video on is really a question of going back to why are you meeting, who are you meeting with, and structuring your meeting to accomplish the goal for which you are meeting. Couple more things on that you <laughs> have written about is you could be doing yourself a disservice because you could be not showing your body language that could be very effective and yeah. in, in helping people understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, you know, your body language, 
is really important. I mean, there was some some old statistic, old findings, old suggestions that 80% of your communication is your body language. Well, no, not really. <laughs> but a, a good some of it is, right? And so it's, you know, if you want people to understand what you're saying, then you want to have as mo- as much communication you know, mechanisms as possible coming from you. Right. And so, you know, uh, Karen, uh, my co-author, she would often talk about, you know, what is, what, what sort of presentation do you want to present? You know, what, who, who do you want them to see? Right. Or, or do you want them to see a blank, you know, black box, right. And just hear you, or do you want them to see you? What kind of message do you want to send? Right. And in some of my conversations with people, as they're doing this whole transition between remote and in-person and hybrid and so forth, they've really found that if you're out of sight, you're out of mind, right? You go to that black little black box, um, you're you're no longer a priority. And that, okay, if everybody's on a virtual meeting and everyone's a black box, that's that's you know, okay, fine. But if you're a, if you're in a hybrid situation and you're a black box, I've been in too many meetings before, during, and now as we as we transition out of the pandemic, where that person that's the little black box is completely forgotten about, right? But if you're if you're there and you're waving or and communicating, it's it's much harder to harder to be ignored. Yeah. And then another thing you wrote about if you're off camera, and this could be good or bad for the meeting, is there's a tendency and a temptation to multitask. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've sent five emails since we started talking. Yeah, so, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I can. Our cameras are on, even though this is an audio podcast. I can see you. So, but uh, you also wrote something in the book. I agree with. There really isn't multitasking, you know, because no. we can only really do one thing at a time. Yeah, that's that's basic psychology research on attention. I mean, I taught, I taught it years ago in Psych 101. You know, people people can't really attend to more than one thing at a time. You can either you can it's it's really just tasking. You're either tasking on this or you're tasking on that. You're not doing both. Yeah, you're switching back and forth. And, yeah. you know, maybe I am super busy and this meeting, it mostly applies to me. But, you know, if I'm I'm going to shoot yeah. off this email, I'm not fully engaged in the meeting. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's a problem, right? I mean, there's a... So when I think about that issue of multitasking... I part of me wants to immediately blame that person. How dare they for not paying be paying attention and being engaged in the meeting? But I have to remind myself, and I and I and I talk about it a little bit in in my book, um, that we got to curate our invite list, right? We we sometimes fall into this default that I want to include everybody, right? And maybe that's this idea of inclusion, and we don't want anyone to feel left out, that sort of thing. But I've not met very many people who are truly upset when they don't have to go to another meeting, right? <laughs> and what was more bothersome is when you go to a meeting and you you it's not relevant to you, your input really isn't needed or valued, and now you're having to kind of figure out how can I be present and accounted for but get some other work done because this is really irrelevant to me, right? And so I think we 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 try we tend to blame the person who's multitasking or just tasking you know who's who's really not attending the meeting but is invited we tend to blame them for not paying attention when the reality is do they need to be there 
And if they don't really need to be there, it's really the fault of the organizer for not curating their list and saying, okay, I need these four people. Well, this person's sort of related to it. I'm going to invite them. And this person over here might want to know what happens in this meeting. So I'll invite them. No. Take good notes or have someone take minutes of the end of the decisions. Send that out. So the, the, the inclusive part needs to be informing people about what happened in the meeting, not necessarily having everybody in the meeting itself. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of leads into another just important part of this. How do you decide, should you even have a meeting in the first place? Yeah. So uh, I usually suggest asking yourself two questions. So if you're, if you're getting ready to organize a meeting, there are two questions you need to ask yourself, right? First off, does my meeting have a purpose? Right. I mean, that sounds like a basic question, <laughs> but I've been to many a meeting and been like, uh, the the organizers like, so um, call this meeting day. So what what did, we, what did we need to accomplish today? And you're like, what do you mean? What we needed to accomplish today? You called the meeting, right? <laughs> right. And so I've been in too many meetings like that. So first off, does the meeting have a purpose? Right. The answer is yes. Ask the second question. Does that purpose require collaboration? Right actual conversation and dialogue between people, right? If you answer yes to that, proceed to schedule your meeting, you know, curate the invite list, get your agenda together, do all those wonderful things that nobody does. Um, but first, if you ask those two questions, you'll find that there's a good number of meetings that are on your calendar that you probably don't need to have, right? And hopefully if you ask those two questions and you say no to either one, you stop and don't schedule a meeting because maybe what you really need to do is just inform, right? And Informing people of things, there's easier ways to do that. You can send an email, which I know people are like, oh, I don't need any more email. Okay, fine. Get a Slack channel and, and send us in a Slack message. Get a, you know, record an audio file or a video file and 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 get that, you know, send that through the, you know, through the intra, your your uh, business's intranet or whatever. But send them, put a memo, put it on paper and mail it. What whatever it is, there are other more efficient and effective ways to to get information to people. Um, then, then bring everyone into a room or bring everyone together virtually or otherwise and <clears throat> spewing information at them when no collaboration is needed. Yeah. I'm interested in that last thing you said. Um, are you, are you seeing a lot more people send like video messages instead of meetings? Because I know emails can definitely be misunderstood. And so sometimes you're sharing a message in a meeting so that it comes across as you want it to, and people can ask questions. Are you seeing a lot more of that video kind of response? Um, more than I did before the pandemic, but not still not as much as I would think we could. Right. Yeah. I mean, people are recording 30 second, 60 second TikToks at a maddening pace. Right. Why can't we record a 30 second, you know, response or, you know, quick share and send it to people, post it to people, something like that, create a group in, you know, in, on YouTube or on, on TikTok or a channel or something and, and do it that way. I think there's ways that people could innovate and do that further. I know there are a couple of uh, companies out there that started, you know, doing more audio, uh, you know, recordings, that sort of thing. Basically taking the uh, voicemail messaging, you know, a process that we, we've used in the past and created an app for it, right? Um, so I think it's happening more than it used to, but I don't think it happens enough because I think too often we just default to the, oh, let's have a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's gotten so much, it's gotten so easy to make videos or audio files. Mm -hmm. I, I think that yeah. we'll probably see a lot more of that. I hope so. Oh, uh, but yeah. I hope that we see more of that 
at the same time as we see less meetings. Yes. Right? I don't want to see more of that and continue to have meetings at the rate we're currently having because we just can't keep this up forever. Yeah. And I'm so I'm talking about as a substitute and having less yeah. meetings. Absolutely. So uh, let's just uh, talk about that a little bit. So, you know, definitely with introverts, meetings can be a problem where they're, oh, yeah. where their voice isn't heard. I know you just mentioned, you know, putting together an agenda. How important yeah. is that for, for both the leader of the meeting and also the introvert to have the agenda? Yeah. So, you know, this is, this is, you know, really key for, um, for introverts, but also for meeting success, right? So just having an agenda automatically improves your meeting, not by a lot, but it improves it by a little bit, right? However, if you're a good leader, whether you are an introvert or an extrovert or whatever, pr providing an, an agenda ensures that people of different personality types are going to come to the meeting, at least have the potential to come to the meeting prepared and have a chance to think about things. For the extroverts, they'll be, they, they, they either won't look at it or won't care to look at it and may even be annoyed by it because they feel like they can just off the cuff talk whatever they want, right? Um, and that's fine. Um, that's, that's a skill that they have. Uh, and an introvert's going to be thrilled that they received that because now they can look and see what the topics are, think about, see how it's relevant or irrelevant to them, and maybe even think about, okay, if I get, if, if they actually ask for my opinion, I have one and, and, and think about what that is. So that way when they get asked or they, when, or when they want to offer their opinion, they can actually share it in a, in a good and meaningful way, the way that they would like to. Right. But if you have no agenda and you just throw it out in front and you throw out the purpose in front of everybody and it was like, Oh, let's kick this around for a little while. That's great for maybe part of the team. Right. Or maybe you have a fully extroverted team and you have no introverts. So everyone's just going to kind of yell at each other for a half an hour. Um, but assuming you have some diversity in personality, that's going to be really important. And as a, as a, so that, there's two sides to that one your leader is going to actually get better in information from the whole team, right? By doing that. And as an attendee, if you're an introvert, you now have the chance to actually engage in the meeting and get your ideas out there because you've had a chance to, to take it, even just a, a minute or two and think about how you might answer a question about it. So, yeah, absolutely. So you have the agenda. What are some things that maybe that you've done or you've seen other people do as introverts to really prepare and have your voice heard in the yeah. meeting? Yeah. So I, um, on introvert you, which is, um, so is how kind of how we got connected, David. Um, I have a, a, you know, a little course there that talks about, uh, you know, the, the habits that introverts can engage in when it comes to meetings that ensures that they'll, they'll have effective meeting experiences. And we were started to we were starting to allude to that with the whole agenda thing, but essentially what what an introvert needs to do is find out what the purpose of the meeting is ahead of time, right? Either through the, the themselves establishing the purpose if they're the organizer, or finding out from the organizer, okay, what's the purpose? I know I know I annoy some of my colleagues, but whenever I get an invite to a meeting and I don't and it doesn't have a, an agenda and there's no clear purpose that I can see, I email them and say, hey. Why are we meeting? <laughs> you know, and that's for me. I can get away with it because they're like, "Oh yeah, the meeting doctor is going to want me to define the purpose." Da, 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 da. And so they don't they don't necessarily associate that with my personality. <laughs> but the truth is, it's my personality because I want to know. Because a good introvert is going if they get that information ahead of time. So here's the here's the kicker for introverts. 
if they can get the information about what the purpose of the meeting is ahead of time, that gives them the time to write down a few notes, right, on the various topics. Now, granted, the, the meeting could go off the rails. And in fact, too many meetings do that. And if it goes off the rails and on a topic way over here, as an introvert, you know, you may be able to think and figure out something you could inject in there. But the reality is, if it's if you know the purpose and they stick to the agenda, you, if you get it ahead of time, you can do a few notes. Um, I've even, you know, I even had a, a student a few years ago who was so introverted, like not not a little bit introverted, but so introverted. And he hadn't yet developed any of these skills. And I taught him this and he would he would literally write down his 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 answers. Right. His responses. And that's fine, too. Right. Because that gives you the chance to really lean into your analytical skills, your your thought processes, your ideas. And so you get that down on paper. Right. If, if you need to or at least, you know, some, you know, so a few notes. And then you go into the meeting ready, right? And when the topic comes up, don't my my advice to introverts is don't wait until the extroverts kick it around till they stumble onto your idea, because that happens sometimes too. Because then some extrovert who just happened to stumble into the room with the idea, right? No offense to extroverts, but <laughs> but when they finally get the idea, they'll get the credit for the idea that you came up with through thinking about it a little bit beforehand. So I, my advice to introverts is don't wait for everyone else to you know, share something. When the agenda item comes up that you have something to say, I, I hate to say it, but put yourself out there, right? And that's, that's the hardest step for me in my recommendations when it comes to you know, being an effective uh, person, you know, introvert in a meeting, is that you've got to um, overcome that natural tendency to kind of sit back and, and, and think. And, You've done the thinking already. Put yourself out there. Yeah, that is such great advice because we do need to put ourselves out there. We have a lot of valuable things to say. Oh, yeah. And I, I always say introverts, you know, a common misunderstanding is that people say we don't have a lot to say, but it's like, no, we actually have a lot to say because we're always thinking. So we have a lot to say. But if you have the agenda ahead of time, you can do that thinking ahead of time. And That's right. um, it's funny because, like, I say, if it's something, if it's new material, I am going to need to think about it. If it's actually a topic like introversion, I could actually just talk about it for hours, which is kind of funny. Mm -hmm. I could talk about introversion with hours without, without any preparation. Yeah. But so I do something similar, you know, I look at the agenda, figure out, is there anything I need to research, anything I need to learn? Mm -hmm. Are there questions I want to make sure I ask? So like you said, I make myself notes. Definitely, if I'm scheduling a meeting with the meeting doctor, I'm probably going to send an agenda, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's wise, but uh, not everybody knows, you know. But they find out pretty quick um, when I when that sort of thing. And when you said, you know, introverts have a lot to say, I thought to myself, yeah, I've been talking a lot, haven't I? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. the reality is, um, I know this topic, like you said, with introversion, introversion, and introversion, and and that topic. You know, there are when you know what you know. <laughs> you don't have a hard time putting coherent sentences together and talking about it. Right. And so it is a complete misnomer that, that introverts don't want to talk or don't have anything to say. It's that they just, they, they're a little more, a little more analytical, a little more uh, reserved in how they might approach what they want to say. Right. And so uh, I was actually talking to someone earlier today about um, how most people assume, or, or most people who interact with me don't realize I'm an introvert. Right. Or don't think that I'm an introvert or say, I say, or I say, oh yeah, I'm an introvert. You know, that's the thing. And they're like, oh no, you're not. You're always outgoing. You're always talking to people. 
that's because I prepared, <laughs> right? That's because I do that. And when I'm done talking to people, you know, unlike an, ex- an extrovert who gets in- their energy from that interaction, I'm wiped out, right? I can bounce around the room for, for a couple hours and look like, and, 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 and basically look like an extrovert and build that network with people, but it's not where I derive my energy, right? Yeah. And so I think that's also something that uh, people realize, don't realize that introverts can do the same behaviors that extroverts can do, right? That's not like that's, we can't, <laughs> it's that it's not what we would choose to do, right? And not or, where we derive our energy. Yeah. Or it's a matter of, we go about it differently, you know, yeah. like half the population are introverts. And people uh-huh. find that surprising because they, like you just said, they might judge you to be an extrovert, you know, not knowing because you can't see what's going on in someone. You can't see their preferences in, in yeah. that kind of thing. We're deep thinkers and a lot of strengths and needs come from that. Uh-huh. But we do need to build connections. We want to build connections. Absolutely. You know, we do have a lot to say. It's just we're going to go about things differently, you know, uh-huh. like leadership or public speaking. I love to, I love public speaking, but I'm going to approach it so much differently preparing than my extrovert oh, yeah. colleague, colleague would. Yep. Absolutely. So in the meeting, you actually wrote in your book too something that I thought was really interesting. You talked about how you might actually need to allow some time for thinking. And if you have a mixed group, like I think probably most meetings are introverts and extroverts, we need both on our teams. How do you allow that time for thinking within the meeting? That could be a challenge Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. So again, this goes back to the whole thing about, you know, organizations take for granted that their people know how to run meetings. And this is, you know, introducing silence into meetings is something that people like, oh, wait, what? You you can do that? Yeah. You don't have to fill the air entirely with with people blabbering about stuff. Right. I think it was, uh, uh, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, who 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 introduced this novel idea of some silence, you know, before the meeting begins, where everybody reads the reads the agenda or the or the one pager to get everybody oriented on things. That's I I know it's attributed to Mr. Bezos, but it's not new. <laughs> uh, those of us who who studied meetings know that a good facilitator will use silence to their advantage, right, and to the advantage of the meeting, right. So there's nothing wrong with Starting the meeting off with saying, okay, I don't know if everyone's had a chance to do the pre-read, so we're going to take five minutes and everybody's going to take, you know, read this paper that's in front of you or, or the document that I just sent you know, through, the, you know, through the chat or whatever, but giving everybody a few minutes to orient themselves. It's also okay during the meeting to say, you know, I really want your thoughts on this. Um, here, here's my question, but, but don't just jump in and answer. I want, I want everybody to take a minute. And I'll even put a timer on the, there's all these fancy things you can do with the, with the virtual meetings, but you can set a timer on there and it can count down 60 seconds or whatever. But you, you said you give everybody a minute to just think about the question you just asked, right? Now for that'll benefit everybody, right? It'll benefit the introverts because they'll not actually have a chance to think about the question that they didn't they have a chance to think about beforehand. And the extroverts will actually get a chance to think about it. And and you know, build a more coherent response for themselves as well. So everybody actually benefits from in using that as a tool uh, in a meeting, particularly when you when you want people to do a little more deep thinking uh, in a more working type meeting as opposed to a you know kind of information sharing or spewing of things around uh, kind of meeting. So yeah, that's a brilliant strategy. I uh, I don't think I've seen it used very much, and but yet I no. can see where it's needed. Yep. Yeah. It's one that I don't know if I talk about much in the book, but it's one that uh, that has been, you know, 
on my mind a lot lately uh, because of having just created that course. Because the book, the book was written before I really dug into the whole um, introverts, you know, edge to meetings, as it were, uh, and uh, thought about that a little bit more and some of the key things and key behaviors that a leader or an attendee could do to make uh, the meeting more effective for that other half of the uh, of the human family that may or may not uh, find meetings as enjoyable as the extroverts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. How long should meetings be? How do you determine that? You determine that by the size and scope of the purpose for which you called the meeting. Okay. Right. By and Google, that's something that, that you learn that how you time. do it. <laughs> yeah. There, there's some, t- there's some tricks to that, right? Cause the reality is it's, it varies by the group you have. Some people are going to talk more, right? It also varies by, um, you know, how many things you can get through in a, in a period of time. And so it's, it's hard to say, here's, here's how long it has to, it should be, or here's how many items you can get done in, in 30 minutes versus, you know, an hour, because it depends on the item. Depends on how much discussion needs to happen for them. Depends on how passionately people feel about the thing you want to talk about, right? And so you as a as a leader have to right-size your meeting, as it were, to the length that you think it's going to take. And you, you know, you'll get better at it over time as you call more meetings and as you curate your, your uh, agenda and that sort of thing. And as you get to know your people, right? And once you do that, you'll start to be able to kind of figure out how much you're going to accomplish. Because I mean, I know when I first started, you know, being in a role where I would, you know, schedule meetings, I was terrible at this, right? I was terrible at knowing how, how long, or how much I could do in a meeting, right? But I got better at it, right? And I've reflected back on what were the things that made it, you know, made me get better at it. And it was, it wasn't that um, I changed how I put the agenda together per se. It was that I look, I got better at understanding how people react to certain things. I got to know the people well enough to know who's going to talk a lot, right? And what they're going to talk about. I I learned about, you know, what my average is for how many things I could get done in a given meeting. And so the reality is it's kind of it's kind of person's, you know, person and group specific as to how much you can accomplish. But my advice would be, you know, if you get done early, great. Stop. Let everybody go, <laughs> right? If you're yeah. running late, that's that's good to know as well, right? And if you know, and so you don't want to run. You, you you stop when the meeting is supposed to end, regardless, right? Um, but then that gives you information to know for next time that okay, we we didn't get through all this. I need to have, probably have a smaller list of, of things, or I need to make sure this particular item gets more time next time, or whatever. So, yeah. So as a leader or as a participant, you know, you've had the meeting now. What's so important to do after? Uh, the one thing that I think is probably the most neglected thing when it comes to the meeting continuum. So the main continuum in my mind is what should you do before, what do you need to do during, and what do you need to do after uh, a meeting. And you've asked about after. After is almost always neglected. After yeah. the meeting, you should, if minutes were taken, they should be shared. And But the most important thing, which I think is rarely done, is action items need to be recorded and followed up on. I, it's, it's a pet peeve of mine, but it's annoyed me for longer than I've ever, than I've studied meetings that I go to a meeting. We talk about things, people get assignments, that sort of thing. And the next week I go to the meet that meeting with that group of people again. And everybody's like, Oh, so yeah. So what did we decide last week? Oh, you were going to do this. You were going to do this. You were gonna... 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so did you do that? No. Did you do that? No. Did you do that? Yes. Did you do that? No. I mean, so you go around and you recreate the action items in the first ten minutes of your meeting that you could have been, rather than that, just a quick report out on on the action items, or the action items could have been accomplished long before that, and an email or a communication could have been said, "Hey, I'm done with that. Here's the report you asked for," or "I'm done with that. Here's the whatever." You know, and and so the number one thing that people forget to do when it comes to wrapping up a meeting is action items, making sure there's a name associated with each one and, and holding people accountable. Just saying, okay, did you do it? Or following up either between or, or, or at the next meeting in a meaningful way. Yeah. And probably before is probably better on the follow-up, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then as the participant, what's important to do after? Um, do your action items. Don't be that. Don't be that person who shows them and says, "Oh yeah, I remember you gave me that assignment. I uh, didn't quite get or didn't get to it." Or, "Oh, I'm still working on that." <laughs> and yeah. we all know it. You completely forgot about it. So, I think after the meeting, there's that. The other thing that that a person, you know, a good attendee should do after the meeting is provide feedback to the meeting leader. Right? Let them know how things went for you and for the group as as you saw it. Now, you'll know best whether or not you're you know, you're the, the meeting leader will respond well to that. But if you have a good psychologically safe environment, right, where you feel like you can share your ideas and opinions and it's going to be meaningfully received, then give some feedback, you know, and hopefully they'll give you feedback as well, either as an attendee or as a meeting leader in the, in the next meeting, right? And if you create a, a, a pattern of that between you and your, and your, your boss and, so, and, and your meeting leaders and so forth, over time, you're kind of helping that continuous improvement process happen for everyone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, Joe, we've talked about so many things and I have so many more questions <laughs> I could ask you. But I mean, is there anything that we didn't hit on yet that you want to talk about? Um, yeah, so there's the, the one thing I do want to emphasize is that there isn't a silver bullet that <clears throat> the... It's it's kind of the most one of the more fascinating things about uh, meetings and meeting leaders and meeting attendees is that there's you know a hundred best practices maybe more that people should be considering right probably most people are doing about half of them already right and so that's you know, that's good although that be an F yeah you're being graded right <laughs> um, but the reality is most people but the pattern though is different like. What, what I struggle with, with when I lead meetings is probably not what you struggle with, David, right? And so when I, you know, when people are like, oh, what should you recommend? Well, I can give people, you know, what, I, what the data shows as the, the most important things, right? But the person I'm talking to might be like, well, yeah, yeah, I do that. I do that. I do that. Why aren't my meetings better, right? And the reality is they do those three things, but here's five other things that they, maybe they didn't think of. So the pattern of what people need to make their meetings better varies from person to person and from organization to organization, from group to group. And so for me, one of the things that I do often is I do uh, meeting observations and I, I provide feedback and I provide coaching to the meeting leader. And it's really fascinating to see the pattern, right? Because they're, they're, they're so different, right? And I'll be, this person will get this set of suggestions and this person over here will get a completely different set of suggestions. And so I guess my answer to, you know, my last thing I want to share is don't get discouraged and don't feel like you have to be like everybody else because you're probably not. There isn't a silver bullet, but there's an awful lot of ammunition for making your meetings better. Yeah. And there's a lot of great things that you can learn, but best practices from other people. But 
find out what works for you, right? Correct. Yeah. So what, what's the latest thing you're working on, Joe? Latest thing I'm working on? Well, um, I'm actually in the process of looking at meeting equity, right? So a fascinating thing that happened during the pandemic is when we switched to virtual meetings, suddenly there was more equality in the participation, right, immediately. But over time, that started to go away, right? So, the, so how, and how we defined equality was just amount of talk time. Right. Talk time before the pandemic and face to face meetings was distributed in the way that you would probably expect it. You know, white guys got to speak the most, women got to speak less, people of color spoke even less. Right. There was not equality in the meetings. That was that was the reality in most organizations. We went online and it was equal. Those times were were closer to equal in, in a lot of organizations. But over time, those same groups. They started to, the, the biases that we had crept back in. And so what I'm working on now is a, psych, a psychometric or a psychological measure of meeting equity. How, how, how much are people feeling like their meetings are a place where they can, they, where they can share their ideas and opinions and they feel um, equitable around the table, around the, of the virtual table, uh, communicating with each other. And so I'm very concerned about, you know, how do we make sure that we um, benefit from the diversity of the, of the people that we have in our room uh, and make sure that the people who are quiet, like the introverts, get a chance to share their, their ideas. Yeah, that sounds amazing because like we've been talking about, everybody has something to say and everybody's voice needs to be heard. So absolutely look forward to hearing more about that. And then, of course, where can people find out more about the great work you're doing, Joe? Well, uh, you can go to my website, uh, www.joeallen.org. Uh, that's where I've got links to all my books and my research and so forth in there. Uh, you can also find any of my books, Suddenly Virtual, Suddenly Hybrid, and, of course, my, my most recent one, Running Effective Meetings for Dummies. They're all available at your bookstores or online on Amazon, uh, so you can check those out. And also, you know, look me up. I'm a... I'm a professor at the University of Utah, which means my my email for the University of Utah is uh, is public domain. <laughs> so, uh, if you have questions or, or thoughts or ideas, uh, shoot me an email. You know, I, I'll get I, I get a lot of email, but shoot me an email. I'd reach out. I'd love to hear what people think and what how people are doing and and what your experiences are in meetings. All right, thanks again. This has been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to further connecting with you. Reach out at david at quietandstrong.com or check out the quietandstrong.com website, which includes blog posts, links to social media, and other items. Send me topics or guests you would like to see on the show. If you're interested in getting to know yourself better, there's now a free type finder personality assessment on the Quiet and Strong website. This free assessment will give you a brief report, including the four-letter Myers-Briggs code. I'll add a link to the show notes. There's so many great things about being an introvert, so we need those to be understood. Get to know your introverted strengths and needs and be strong.